Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined by my co-host Sal Dietry. Sal, how are you today? Ed, my friend, I'm doing great. You know, most of us know someone who has battled or is battling cancer. It's particularly difficult to hear when children develop cancer. Today we're talking with Ellen Blair, whose daughter Catherine battled neuroblastoma. Ellen and Tom started the Catherine Elizabeth Blair Memorial Foundation to combat and bring awareness to this childhood cancer in memory of Catherine. We'll hear their story and how our listeners can get involved with their foundation, in particular the Skate for Catherine event coming up March 3rd at the Kettler Ice Rink in Arlington. And we're going to talk about their book, A Million Sunshines, A Moment with Catherine. I'll tell you, I spent a few hours reading this book and I cannot put it down. It is it is profound, it is beautiful, it is something that I think our readers are really going to enjoy. Ed, tell us a little bit about uh, childhood cancer. Fill us in as we get going. Cancer is the number one disease killer of children in the U.S. One in 285 children will be diagnosed with the disease. The World Health Organization estimates that 300,000 kids worldwide are going to be diagnosed each year with cancer. There are many different types and subtypes of cancer. Some have a very high cure rate, and some cure rates are still near zero. The children who do survive, two-thirds of them, uh, have chronic health problems and or secondary cancers develop from the harsh treatments that they go through. And I think most of us know that uh, the doctors define survival for cancer as reaching five years. So, Ellen, thank you for joining us. We know you have your son, John, with you, too. And we just say welcome to Grace and 30. Thank you so much for letting us uh, come on your show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this is great. And uh, we're, we're going to explore, hopefully in, in 30 minutes is enough, uh, your foundation and, and talk about Catherine's story. I want to go from this first point where you learned that Catherine was diagnosed with neuroblastoma all the way up through the foundation, which is this amazing thing that you and your family have started to help fight neuroblastoma. Tell us about the moment when you first heard the word cancer used to describe Catherine's uh, condition. What were your initial thoughts and emotions, Ellen? Well, of course, when any parent hears the word cancer about their child, it's a shock. I can imagine. Um, Catherine was just limping a little bit and uh, we just figured it was something small so we took her um, for an x-ray and after that the doctor called us back that night and said well tomorrow we're booking you in for an MRI so the, the next day we went to Children's Hospital and after that day they knew it was something very terrible so the next day which was Wednesday by then um, we were already admitted to the oncology ward at Inova Fairfax. So things happened very quickly, and you know you had to deal with this and quickly get up to speed on on what was going on. Tell our listeners what exactly is neuroblastoma. We hear these these super technical terms in cancer that are thrown around by doctors. It, it's like another language. What exactly is neuroblastoma, and, and uh, how old was Catherine when she was first diagnosed? Catherine was three, uh, three and a half, and um, you may not have heard of neuroblastoma, but it's actually the most common solid tumor cancer other than brain cancers. Um, it's usually found in very, very young children, and it's rarely found in people older than age 10. Um, it's a cancer that develops in your nerve tissue 
and it often starts in your adrenal glands, which it did in Catherine. Mm -hmm. um, so there's also many stages of neuroblastoma, and um, if you have one of the earlier stages, um, sometimes it can actually disappear on its own if you're a very young child. However, Catherine had stage four high risk, which is the worst diagnosis that you can have. Um, neuroblastoma is extremely aggressive, and so the treatments that they give are also extremely aggressive. I, is it typically found at these late stages? Because it's not something I think you would screen for in, in utero, in the womb. So I, is it something that presents itself very late in, in, in its development? It's fairly well developed or on its path by the time most people start to catch it. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, most often it's found when it's in the late stages. Um, like I said, Catherine was just limping, and we, that was the only symptom she had. There were no other symptoms at all. And you, you went local here to start, to a local oncology, and, and then from there you went to specialists as, as the whole thing started to envelop. Is that right? Yes. Well, she was, um, when we first went for the MRI, it was at Children's, and then the, the oncology group that we went with, um, they were at Fairfax, but they were Children's Hospital doctors. Now, I, I want you to tell us uh, about Catherine, her personality, her love for art, her joy, because this is really so evident in, in your foundation. Uh, when I go to the website and I see that, that fun, beautiful art, and you know, having read through uh, this book, uh, um, A Million Sunshines, or A Moment with Catherine, uh, share some things with our listeners about Catherine, uh, because boy, she had a personality. She was, <laughs> she was uh, clever, uh, funny, stubborn, uh, intelligent. I, I, I loved reading the stories about her uh, in the book and on your website. Uh, would you like to share some of that with our listeners? Well, Catherine definitely had a big personality for such a small little person. Yeah, <laughs> she, uh, she was very stubborn. Uh, she loved her life. She, uh, she was happy. She um, was mischievous. Um, she <laughs> John can probably tell you some stories about that. <laughs> she, uh, she was also, to many people, she seemed quiet, but she actually wasn't at all very quiet when she was at home or with her friends. <laughs> um, and our nickname for her, some people already know, is the Fierce Butterfly. That's great. She, uh, she seemed all, you know, delicate and sweet, but she had a very strong will, and that's why we call her that. And, you know, reading the, the book, would you like to share a couple, uh, a story or two from uh, the book? And I want to encourage our listeners, uh, you know, as we're talking about ways that you can get involved with the Blair Foundation is to uh, to visit their website and, and see about requesting a copy of this book because it's not just the stories of Catherine. These are stories that I think if you read one every morning, uh, it's inspirational, um, it, they're very moving, they're, they're, they're happy, they're, they're sorrowful, but it's just a beautiful collection of stories. Would you like to share a couple with us, Ellen? Well, thanks. Um, so the book is a collection of stories that a lot of the... Um, the stories were written while she was in treatment during her last um, 15 months of life, which were mostly spent in, in the hospital a lot. Um, and the two stories I would like to read um, were written by my husband, Tom. 
So the first story is called The Good Thing About Silk Pajamas. As the weekend draws to a close, Catherine is still in the hospital. She's been feeling better and the fevers seem to have gone, but her blood counts remain at zero. The doctor said that she will be there at least a couple more days. Okay, that's not the news anybody was hoping for, but there's something more. Today, Catherine got new pajamas. The pants are silky white with big purple and green dots. When she put them on and got back into bed, she noticed that her silky pants caused her to slip down in the tight hospital sheets. Instead of being annoyed by this, Catherine got a little smile and hit the button to elevate the back of her bed. She then pushed herself to the top of the bed and slid down with a high-pitched shriek. She cranked the bed up even higher and repeated the exercise, drawing her legs to her chest to increase her velocity. Her runs were short, but she went very, very fast. <laughs> Catherine laughed her head off during all of this, but was most anxious that the doctor did not find out. I think she'd remembered one of our first medical visits back when all of this was starting. One of the doctors told her not to do any rough sports, like sled riding, until they figured out what was wrong with her leg. Since then, I've often thought how unnecessary that order now seems. As if a little girl who is hooked to an IV pole only has one working leg and has been hit with a draining succession of testing, chemo, high fevers, and low blood counts is likely to go bounding off for a spot of sled riding. Boy, was I wrong. In fact, Catherine may be the only kid in Northern Virginia who managed to find a white slope this afternoon. She may not have set any long distance records, but she surely enjoyed the ride. And please remember, this needs to stay our secret. That, that is great, and I, and I think you it, you know, as you as you said, and as I think as the story talks about the the one day the doctor showed up and they were looking quite seriously in the room, and and as they were conversing outside, you and Tom were thinking this this is they're probably not going to come in with something good here, and and they came in and their diagnosis was you know that maybe if if silk sheets could be put on the bed, Catherine would get you know a greater run, and yeah. so you know they were amazed <laughs> with this whole thing that you know. And, and I think it just shows you that, you know, even in these times of incredible struggle, that, that a child finds this joy and, in, and uh, inspires these physicians to, you know, take part in that in their day, which is often filled with simply dealing with people who are in some spectrum of uh, either surviving or going into some remission or, or not uh, from cancer treatment and what an impact she had on them. That, I loved that story. I wanted to ask, Ellen, when did you start thinking about creating a foundation? Was it sometime after uh, Catherine passed away, or was it while she was going through this whole uh, ordeal and challenge? While Catherine was in the hospital, we wanted to find a way that we could continue her fight. Um, towards the end of her life, we knew that she was going to die, and um, we wanted to be able to do something in her honor. Um, it was important to us that it was named after her and that we did something to help other children who were also battling neuroblastoma. So that is how we decided to do the foundation. And I, I have to ask you, you know, you and I talked about this before we got together on the show, 
th- there's different reactions that parents have when they lose a child and as you pointed out some folks go towards the i want to get involved in this and i want to be a part of change and and some some folks tend to simply never speak of it again right in many ways and and i think you commented there aren't that many people in the middle have you you know as your, your your own journey to sort of starting the foundation met other families that uh, are also inspired to sort of take up this battle against neuroblastoma and and get started? I have. um, There's quite a large community of uh, childhood cancer people um, who have various foundations, um, are doing various different things to help um, with either research or helping families who are going through this. Um, so I do, uh, I have known a lot of people, um, it's been helpful to us. And, um, in fact, the two, uh, other foundations that we have worked with on our research projects, um, were both started by parents whose children had died of neuroblastoma. And, and is that, uh, Solving Kids Cancer and the Evan Foundation? Right. So Solving Kids Cancer, um, is a foundation, um, based out of New York City, and the Evan Foundation, um, the parents of Evan are from Maryland. So um, both of them um, we have worked very closely with and hopefully uh, some of the grants we've given will be able to help find some new treatments. Yeah, I want to ask, do you want to take a moment? We've got some time to, to read another one of your favorite uh, stories from the book. Uh, and for listeners who are just joining, we're talking about a book that's been produced by the Blair Foundation. It's called A Million Sons, A Moment with Catherine. And these are stories uh, from the care page uh, that the Blairs developed during Catherine's treatment and tell the story of this just remarkable uh, child and her funny, intelligent, ornery, wonderful side um, as she battled neuroblastoma. Um, you know, take a minute, Ellen, and, and share with us another one of these great stories. Because, I, again, I couldn't put the book down once I started reading it. Okay, so this story, I'm going to just read part of it, and um, this will show a little of her ornery side. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. At that point, Catherine's leg was in bad shape, and she was visited one afternoon by a physical therapist she hadn't met before. The therapist said she'd heard that Catherine's leg hurt and had brought something that would be a big help. The therapist then stepped out of the room and returned with a big smile, saying, Catherine, look what I've got for you, a pediatric walker. The pediatric walker she put in front of Catherine looked for all the world like a geriatric walker. It was reduced in size, but it didn't have any racing stripes. It didn't have any flower stickers. It didn't (laughs) have any fairies swinging gleefully from the bars. Instead, it was cold, unadorned aluminum. Nevertheless, I was ready to resign myself to the pediatric walker. I looked at it just as another tool that might help Catherine get around more safely than the crutches another therapist had given her a few days before. Catherine took one look and hated it with all her heart. Her first line of defense was to insist that her leg was totally fine. But when the therapist probed her right knee, Catherine couldn't avoid grimacing. After much coercion, we got her to stand up and put her hands on the bars of the walker. She did that, but then looked up at the therapist squarely in the face and said, no, very loudly. The therapist was taken aback, but asked her to try a few steps. Catherine took exactly two steps, very slowly, and then looked up at me and said, no, 
even more loudly. After that, she refused to move anymore and started wailing. No! One good thing about this kind of standoff with Catherine is that because it can last a long time, it gives you time to think. As I reflected on the situation, it gradually occurred to me that Catherine might have a point. From her perspective, the walker probably looked like we were trying to push her from the first grade to the nursing home in one fell swoop. Plus, when I glanced at her body, it reminded me of all the painful things she'd endured in the last few weeks without having any say in the matter. Biopsies, IV insertions, port accessing, shots, chemo, not to mention being yanked out of school, separated from her friends, etc. No simply wasn't an option for any of those things. The pediatric walker, however, was different. It was good in its own way, but it wasn't essential. So I told the therapist that we didn't want the pediatric walker. I informed her that we would use the crutches. She looked a little hurt and asked me rather sternly if Catherine had received instruction on the crutches. My dander was up by this time and I quickly answered, yes, absolutely, without actually having the faintest idea whether Catherine had indeed been apprised of the latest in crutch technology. When the therapist left, Catherine made a beeline for her crutches. She tucked them under both arms and I swung open the door of her room. In a flash, she was out in the hallway and moving at a swift pace. Before long, we passed the therapist. She looked on with surprised expression as we blew by her. Catherine said nothing and kept her eyes locked on the road ahead until we arrived back at the room. She climbed into her bed and we spoke no more of the pediatric walker. (laughs) That is great. I I was thinking no training required, really. With with young people, they're really good at stuff like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and there are so many great stories in in this book, A Million Sons. the, the story I like about Catherine's cow, you know, Catherine wanted a horse and when she was told no, well, she wanted a cow, you know, <laughs> she just never gave up. And, you know, that is so prevalent in her, her beautiful story uh, in her battle with neuroblastoma. Would you do us a favor and give us a quick snapshot about the foundation? I want to make sure we, we talk about it, just its goals, how you raise funds, partnerships you have and, and where this money that you're raising is going. Our mission is to raise to raise money to fund the research. Um, the treatments that they're still using for neuroblastoma, a lot of them are very old. Um, uh, a lot of the drugs that are used for children are 20, 30 years old. Um, and is that because it's, it is, uh, I don't want to call it rare, but it is not a, a typical cancer or it's just, it's just a hard problem to solve in your mind? Well, that... The old drug problem is not just neuroblastoma, it's for all childhood cancers. Mm. Um, And the pharmaceutical companies, um, they don't spend money on the kids' drugs because it doesn't make them money. (laughs) So- That's kinda sad. So yeah, it's it's really, um, it's not fair for the kids. And um, a lot of the treatments are very, very toxic. So as you mentioned earlier, um, even if they do survive, a lot of times um, there's terrible side effects and other things that can happen later on, like secondary cancers. Right. One of the stories in the book, I, I think you write about a chapter called The Lucky Ones. Mm-hmm. And you kind of describe a child who survived neuroblastoma, but what they had 
to live with as the results of that, for sure. So you're, you know, getting up a foundation. I mean, this this is not an easy field to understand or even get involved in, but yet you folks now are raising funds and actually you're issuing some grants. You have issued some grants to researchers uh, in the field of neuroblastoma. Is that correct? Right. There's actually a lot of research going on in neuroblastoma. Um, the scientists like to study it because it's such a strange, um, it's a strange cancer. Um, it, um, it sort of finds its way, <laughs> you know, they'll treat it with one chemo and then it sort of learns how to get past that and so they have to try something new. Um, but um, a lot of the research in children's cancer is also now, like it is in other cancers, is uh, immunotherapy. And right. so um, almost all of our grants that we have given, I believe we've given six or seven now. Our last one was 25. And um, total, I just looked this, this morning, and our total is over 147,000. It's got to be for these researchers, not so much the monetary contribution, but just the knowledge that these families are behind them, that they're, you know, because they're in there with the lab mice and the, the science of it, but to step out and meet folks like your, you and your family who are pulling for them, who are working hard in this area, has got to inspire these people to work even harder and think even more about finding a cure, that there's a community behind them who is, who is still fighting for a cure. That's, that's got to be inspiring. Well, it's been really nice. Our last, um, the last couple of grants that we've given to Children's National because we actually have a personal relationship now with um, the doctor, and we've also actually met the researchers who go into the lab and do the work. So that's been really nice for us, and I think for them also because they, they do. They get to meet us and uh, and know that there are actual people behind the science they're doing. Yeah, I want to switch in and start talking about uh, Skate for Catherine because that's coming up here March 3rd at the Kettler Ice Complex here in Arlington. Um, John, you've been a good soul sitting there. Let's ask you, what is you know, you've been going to Skate for Catherine for, for several years now. What, what, uh, what do you like about it? What is fun? What are some of the things that, that you've enjoyed? Because this is a fun event. It's skating. There's prizes. There's face painting there's there's a lot of kids there there's a lot of adults who just come it's it's a, it's it's a fun time uh, to celebrate Catherine and raise money for neuroblastoma but what are some of your favorite things uh, about skate for Catherine well I think one thing that's really great about skate for Catherine is like the you see people from not only your local middle school or your local high school but people from all grades show up and you often see people that you maybe haven't seen for so long but you can all come together and just celebrate and know that while you're having fun you're also supporting something good and since it's uh it's held on a day where you would just go after school or after your conferences and so you might already be doing that and so if you're going to have fun anyways then you can also be supporting a uh, cause that will be helping the kids yeah and you've seen the same people come back year after year after year so like you're saying you get to sort of have a, re a reunion with people uh, and meet up and, and uh, you know, help raise money for neuroblastoma. What is your favorite activity? I know you're often the, the guy selling pizza, so you're <laughs> a favorite uh, of parents, kids, and, and all walks. Uh, you know, you're the pizza guy, but what are some of your other favorite things that go on at Skate for Catherine? 
Uh, definitely, there's a, like you said, there's a face painting for people who enjoy that. That's always fun. If you're not so into the skating aspect, there's a, there's raffles that you can enter to win all sorts of, all sorts of awesome prizes if you're not into face painting or, or skating. But um, I think really, like of course I hand out pizza with a lot of my friends that help out, and. When you do that, you get the ability to because everyone's hungry, so you get to see every single person, and you can talk and get like a personal connection with people, and they see like w- like how this is affecting real people, and it's really uh, a good experience. Yeah, you're making me hungry talking about this pizza. <laughs> um, you didn't bring any for Ed and I tonight, did you? <laughs> um, you know, I, Ellen, you've uh, had a number of local groups. You know, John touched on that. There's there's uh, folks from uh, Washington Lee High School or the middle schools, Glebe, others uh, who who participate in this. This is actually a phenomenal community event. You actually have some sponsors now. Um, how is all this sort of coming about for you? Is it word of mouth? Is it just the compelling story? Because uh, you guys have four or five sponsors. You have Troutman. You have. Uh, uh, Arlington Magazine, which is uh, uh, up and coming uh, here in Arlington. You've got local businesses, Moss Builders, uh, the local car dealer, uh, Alexandria Hyundai. When I look through it, it's a pretty eclectic group. How did these people come to, to become you know involved and want to support uh, this great foundation? We have great sponsors and very loyal sponsors. So a lot of them um, we know because either their kids knew Catherine or they know us. Um, so some of them are our neighbors. I have Karen Close, who's a realtor. I have um, Jacoby um, Contracting. I have the Wheelhouse Group. I have um, JE Photography. And Jay used to work in our clinic where Catherine went to get treated. Um, Simplify You is um, an organizing um, business and Social Scene is also a local business who does events. Um, so all of the people and our kids, which is um, a great online resource for kids' activities, um, all of these people either knew us or knew Catherine, and um, so it's so great that they all have supported us doing this event. And the book, A Million Sunshines, uh, can can folks buy that off your website, or is it available at Skate for Catherine? Because I, I know that we uh, have some ornaments uh, that are some of just the beautiful, amazing uh, paintings that Catherine did at such an early age. And I know one of them was a top for our Christmas tree uh, this year. Are, are these things available if folks contact you, or are they available at Skate for Catherine? Um, the book, you can um, contact us on our website. Um, and we usually do have a couple of books um, at the Skate, just in case anybody doesn't have it yet. <laughs> um Occasionally, we'll have some of her artwork on uh, greeting cards available at some of the local shops around. But if you really want a particular thing, you could just contact us. Well, look, we're we're getting close to the end here. Ed, any final comments before we uh, before we wrap up? We don't have much time, but uh, any messages in 15, 20 seconds to people who are going through the same thing? That's just a hard thing to say. Um, just that, you know, we really... <laughs> People that are going through something really hard, just keep in contact with them. And, and, and we really have appreciated everyone who has kept in contact with us, even now after it's been, you know, almost six years since Catherine died. 
Um, it's just, it really still means a lot when people still say her name and still tell us her stories. It's a simple act of grace for sure. That's a great way to end. Ed, talk us out of here, my friend. This is Ed and Sal signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And to our audience, have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace. Grace.